Okay, let's start the show. It's ah ah ah. It's September fourth, twenty fourteen. Welcome to this is only a test, the official podcast of Tested.com. So pro. Is that in my ears or was that out the speakers? I couldn't even tell. I'm Will Smith, seated directly behind my left, uh, with a laptop and a phone and a diet, Dr. Pepper. Norman Chan, how are you doing? I love me the DDP. DDP is the way to go. Uh, Jeremy Williams, I hear you have a little bit of a sniffle. How are you doing today, sir? Hi, it's more of a congestion. It's more of a, uh, a sore throat. I'm, I'm otherwise well. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here. Um, so Norman and I were at PAX this weekend. PAX Prime wow, in Seattle. This, last, this past weekend. It's crazy. Yeah, you, you drove. Mm-hmm. What, what? You got, like... Driving to Seattle, I've driven to Portland before, and that's a long drive. It's like it's a ten, ten and a half drive. hours to Portland. Yeah, um, and then distance between Portland and Seattle, I believe, is uh, around the hundred eighty or hundred ninety miles. So another three three hours theoretically. Three hours, yeah, depending on traffic. So you crashed in Portland? No. Oh, really? One one the left at seven thirty on Thursday, dude, and got there at two thirty a.m. Friday morning. Now do the math. So how many hours is that? That's uh, um, uh, seven, 17, 19 hours. 17 hours. Uh, 7.30 to midnight is 5 plus 12 is 17 plus another 2 is I was gonna say 19. Eight, 18. Uh, 18 hours yeah, of driving. Say. That's a lot. Why did you, why, Okay, but if it's only a 15 hour drive, why did it take you 18 hours, because 19 hours? We took the long way. Oh, you went up. You went up the coast. Up the coast, and no traffic up the coast, but also gas stops, food stops. It's a lot further up the coast too. Wow, dude. What did you stop in Portland? You you Mm. couldn't. We stopped in Portland for dinner. Stopped in Portland for dinner, and that was I guess on nine. Wait. Stop in Portland for dinner. I guess it was a little. Early. It was about ten o'clock. It was. I, I saw the tweet. It was like ten o'clock. I was playing board games. Ten o'clock and and got voodoo donuts. No, oh, yeah, I saw you that. You can't you can't stop in Portland and not get voodoo donuts. And the best part is if you're just driving through Portland, you stop at voodoo donuts number two, which is the bigger one. Oh, I didn't know that. With a parking lot and also closer to I five huh. and some and some gas. It's so, over in like southeast Burnside or something, right? It's north northeast Burnside. Yeah. Yes. Cool, dude. Um. So I was sitting playing board games with people, and you tweeted that picture of the Voodoo Donuts. And some of the people at my table were from Portland and talked a lot of smack about your Voodoo Donuts, which I had never, I had never heard. Fantastic! Why they talk smack? They said that Voodoo Donuts, while an acceptable donut, is far from the greatest donut you can get in Portland. Oh wow! Which you know, I, I'm sure that there are better donuts in Portland, but it, if you want the classic pink box, and you want the Voodoo Donut, and they have crazy flavors of donut. There's a donut that they, I think they used to make with Diamond Tap. There's a donut. With what? Diamond Tap. What's Diamond Tap? Diamond Tap's the cold medicine. Jeremy oh, Diamond Tap. Diamond Tap. Yeah. Diamond Tap, whatever, however you say it. It's the, it's the, it's it, the sense memories with anyone who grew up in the 80s or 90s or maybe 70s or 80s is the uh, grape flavor. You know, it's, it's the liquid. Fake grape flavor is fake a common grape flavor thing, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. is Diamond Tap. I love it. Um, and uh, they have that flavor on top of a donut. <laughs> they have uh, they have a, my favorite donut. called the Old Dirty Bastard, which is a massive fluffy donut with uh, fudge, 
an Oreo, crumbled Oreos and then peanut butter on top. Oh my god. Uh, a lot of people go for the the famous voodoo donut, which is a donut shaped like a voodoo doll uh, and filled with jelly, blood jelly, mm-hmm. and with a uh, with a, and everyone is unique because they draw a face on it. Um, and then a lot of people also go for the maple bacon, which is a big maple bar with two strips of bacon on top. I, I'm, I'm over the maple bacon. I think the bacon is not fantastic. I'll tell you the secret. They make a phenomenal apple fritter there. It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have any breakfast cereal glued on the top. It's just a really good apple fritter with some enormous chunks of apple in it. So Voodoo Donut, I mean, it's it's very popular, long lines. It's featured on a bunch of uh, travel shows. Um, I, I I bet there are plenty of great donut places in Portland, but that's, that's the place I want to go when driving through Portland for the... The, uh, the the big box of donuts. There's nothing wrong with that, Norm. Nothing, nothing wrong with it. Did no. you load up? Did you carb up for the for the last three four hours of the drive? Yes, we got a dozen donuts, and that lasted next next couple days. Oh, God. Gross. And then and then on the way back, I was like, oh, we'll take the a long road trip. It's always the worst on the way back because you're not getting anywhere for fun. You're just going home, and you're already tired, well, and you just want to go home. And if the, if coming back. It could be a plane ride. I would take that instant, but the car is up there. So, uh, oh, maybe we'll take this, the, take it easy the way back and take two days. But nope, that's just we decided the bullet back down. Did stop back in Portland and did also get voodoo donuts for the way back. Wow, I, I still have some of those double donut. I so when I do a long road trip and I'm coming back, I always do the thing where I think, oh, I'll stop like eight hours out from home and sleep. And then get up the next day and be refreshed and get home at like three o'clock in the afternoon, right? But then what happens is at nine o'clock when it's time to stop driving, I always get to the point where I'm like, "Fuck it, man, we could just push through. Let's just let's just get this done." Mm. And I do the exact same thing you did, and and instead of stopping in like Rogue River, Oregon, I'll just drive all the way back, and then I'm I'm ruined for the next two days because I was up until three o'clock in the morning, and you know, get the nice wake up in your own bed thing, but it's not. It's not the same. You guys were just talking about the game gods, which I didn't realize you did that in the next. Sorry. You guys are both PC gamer alums. Yeah. And you were both there in the era of the next game gods. Yeah. The, the, the most famous cover. We only brought of 2000. that. We only brought that up because that was the one and only time I've been in Seattle. Really? I would have thought you'd be a Seattle person. It seems I'm, like it's your speed. You like coffee? I love Seattle. The one time I've been there, I loved it. So it's great. I would go back. Some context for youngins who have no idea. Magazines? What are those? Uh, back, I believe, in 1999, that was when Gary Witta, who used to be the third chair on the podcast, was the editor of the magazine, of yep. PC Gamer magazine. He set up a big cover feature called The Game Gods. Yep. This uh, was his- called Game Gods, and it was classy, and it was he got a big round table of all the 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 most notable game developers of the 80s and 90s of the 80s and 90s like Sid Meier and on the cover which I'm looking at the cover right now it's a classic it's like it's like a school portrait almost but taken seriously Uh, you have John Carmack Sid Meier in the middle and Richard Garriott looking like the uncles you love indisputable game game gods in classy font and everything the world's 25 greatest game makers together for the first time what a concept Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good idea. Um, talking about 
game development. And then there's a, a big photo. I guess they did two two spreads, right? Yeah. Two, anyway, they I think got, they were actually two shoots. Two, two photo yeah. shoots, which one which I recall that. Um, and I can't even name half these people. I see Warren Spector. Molyneux. There's uh, Peter Molyneux right there. Uh, is that, um, that's Richard Gary. It's Chris, Chris Roberts right there. Um, and Will just, Wright was there probably? Yep, Will Wright, I believe, was there. It's titans of industry, the people who made your favorite games. Uh, Jane Jensen, I believe, was she there? I know Roberta Williams. Roberta was. Williams, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. She, she was there. Uh, yeah, there were two, two halves to it. All right, oh my goodness. Yeah, there goes Will Wright, Roberta Williams. That was Gabe, look at that. Right Gabe Newell center. right in the middle, dressed as a suit. That's wow. pre-Steam days. A young Gabe Newell. That's yep. post-Half-Life, but pre-anything else probably, maybe even before Counter-Strike. What, um... So a fantastic, and everyone's in like khakis, and and everyone's having a good time. Awesome. S- September nineteen ninety nine, I believe, was the issue. I, b- I bet you can find it on eBay. I don't think it sold very well. <laughs> really? I don't oh. think so. Why but did they do it again if it didn't sell well? That's a good question. I don't know. So uh, one year later, uh, in the span of one year, the world had changed. Gary would have left PC Gamer magazine to found uh, Total Movie magazine. Yes. In L.A. Uh, the usurper Rob Smith had come in from PC Accelerator magazine, ruining the magazine uh, to to spearhead uh, PC Gamer. Jeremy, you had you then were hired. You were you were there. I was there under Witta. I, I actually started under uh, William Harms. Oh, I was the uh, webmaster. Right, right, right. King Billy. Okay. Yeah, and then I, I became the disc editor and previews editor. So you were there for the the regime change. Disc editor. Disc editor. That's <laughs> right. You were the, the disc editor. Regime change, and uh, I believe that was also my first month. Yeah, when I, the guys are finishing that issue. Oh, really? Because uh, I remember coverage that screen. So yeah. uh, one, not but a year later. Uh, why not? Why not do a follow up feature? Of course, cover feature. Why it, not? It, it sold so well. It was so notable. Uh, so the the feature was called the Next Game Gods, and it brought in uh, a dozen, I believe, on the cover. Cliffy B. Well, yeah, a, a dozen of uh, of, of up and coming game developers who. Uh, the, uh, the the kingmakers at PC Gamer decided would be the next game gods. And uh, who, yeah, who are who are on the I, cover? I have a list. Well, on the cover was okay. Cliffy B, Cliff Blazinski. You mean Alex Garden? At the time, he was Cliffy B. Alex Garden, uh, developer, uh, creator of Homeworld. Oh, great! Uh, far far left. American McGee. Because <laughs> he, he must have been working on Alice at the time. Yeah, yes. Alice was pretty good. And he was a spinoff of the, the id days. Yeah. Right? Level designer. And then, uh, second to the left, Stevie Case. Who? Um, <laughs> she worked at, on Daikatana. Yes. Another Level designer at Daikatana. Um, Daikatana must not have come out at this point. I don't think that came out until... I think I was at Maximum PC when Daikatana came the out. The demo came out on our July 2000 disc. Oh, that's right. So, uh, so Will, I started. you have I a list. That. I have, uh, I'm looking at magazine rips online because, you know, that's what you do. Uh, Brad McQuaid was also there. He was, if you remember, he was the guy who was behind, the original designer behind EverQuest. So he was the guy who made EverQuest hard. Like modern MMOs, piece of cake compared to original EverQuest. You could spend two weeks going from level three to level four in EverQuest Seriously? one. It was really hard. Wow. Um, Ed Del Castillo, Castillo. I don't know who that is. Ken Levine. Whatever happened to that guy? Kim Ken Levine. Mr. Bioshock. 
Uh, and then Robin Walker from Valve Software, who's released, I think, one pretty awesome title since then. Team Fortress 2. So you were involved in that story. And that was the first and only time you went to Seattle was to organize the gathering of the next Game of Gods. Now, we're not conveying this no. properly because for those of you who've never read the issue, the presentation of the next Game of Gods, um, keep in mind this was the year 2000, uh, right after, or uh, yeah, 2000, right after The Matrix came out, was to get all Matrix-like. So everyone was wearing leather, black leather, trench coats. It was pretty Matrixy. Necklaces. Well, that was just for the photo shoot. For the photo shoot. It was one of the highest privileges of my time at PC Gamer to be in that room, I must say. I mean, it was, I was a fly on the wall. I had nothing to contribute because all these geniuses were talking about their ideal game designs and trying not to share too much with each other, but trying to share more than they might with the general public. And it was a really interesting discussion. I like this sidebar um, from the mouth of gods. They asked Gabe Newell some questions. Of the new crop of developer talent, who would you pick as an up-and-coming game god? Min Lee is an amazing, talented developer who's gone largely unnoticed. Since he doesn't work at a traditional games company, he's the guy who made Counter-Strike. Mm. Right. Min, um, or Gooseman, as he is known online, helped create Counter-Strike, a Half-Life mod that has more people playing it than Quake 3 Arena and a real Unreal Tournament combined. Check it out on our on this month's CD. <laughs> That's where I got my version of Counter-Strike, just so you know, from that copy the, of the magazine. On the disc? Yeah, it came on the disc. Wow. Before Steam. You had to download stuff. It was big. Mm. Um, I like I like that he says, when they ask, what are you working on now? Oh, this and that. We're all very busy. You know, Gabe. Uh, should we talk about... Wow. Some technology news? Yeah, man. Well, we talk about packs. We haven't really talk, finished talking about packs. Do you want to talk about packs? Okay. Yeah. I figured we, okay. So that was a little Seattle tangent. Seattle. But now yes. we're back in Seattle. Yes. We're, we're looping around Seattle. Uh, packs was the past weekend. Mm -hmm. um, some stuff happened. I did a lot of games. Did you play games? I did play some games. Let's okay. talk about each of the games that we, we played. Okay. Um, I played IDARB for the first time. Oh, you never played IDARB before? I never played IDARB before. How do you spell that? I-D-A-R-B. I think okay. it's I Drew a Red Box is what it stands for. Okay. Yes. And this is uh, Mike Micah's game. Um, for people who don't know, Mike Micah, uh, who's a, he's a, it's a friend of Gary's, friend of the site. Um, he if, Former if, future guy. Yes. If you uh, followed... Uh, popular mainstream game culture and, and some news. Uh, he was the dad who reprogrammed Donkey Kong to uh, put, uh, I guess, the princess Pauline, Peach, Pauline, as the hero, uh, the hero of Donkey Kong for his daughter, um, which is awesome. And he's been working on a game with his game company uh, that is kind of crowdsourced. Uh, the game design, they, they take suggestions online, and it started with a red box and it went from there and now it's this kind of soccer basketball eight player platformer um well but it's also it also is designed to be streamed yes. so when you have the it's an xbox one game it actually uses the connect in a really interesting way because when you're streaming apparently i've never watched an idarb stream which i probably should at some point people were watching when I played with Mike and some other guys that were on the Xbox one booth over the weekend, they were watching both us play the game and then video of us standing in front of the TV, screaming at each other and high-fiving and stuff. Um, and then people watching the Twitch screen stream could put hashtags on Twitter with hashtag our and hashtag other stuff to actually change the game. So like they would make us into clown mode hmm. 
Um, like they would say they would do something on Twitter that would make all of our characters avatars turn into clowns instead of what we had chosen to begin with. So when the game is really in, uh, there's a hashtag that pops up. Maybe I think it's a unique hashtag for each game or in your sense. Twitch chat room. I will pull from that chat feed also and you can change the rules people can things weird things can, unpredictable things can happen so it's not just visual changes it can actually change the gameplay yes a little bit uh so it's a competitive game uh eight player max and the, ba- the basic premise of the game is mm. it's kind of like basketball platformer basketball sounds great I mean, so one of the best times i've ever had is playing uh tf2 basketball yes yes you remember that and, and this is this is side scrolling okay um but the physics TF2 are basketball is pretty good though uh, tf2 basketball is fantastic uh the physics are fantastic and they've tuned it so it feels really good to get one of those like to just shoot the ball and mm. it's, it's very much like a classic and we get you know one one button to pass one button to shoot there are platforms you can jump under or platforms There's you can like fall a through stun and steal button um they use heat maps with you know thousands of hours of gameplay to design the level so they know like it's very it, to me felt a little um like foosball like where yeah you know when you get close to the goal there's a designated area for your defenders and it's not easy to, you, you have to like pull some acrobatic maneuver to get into a good spot to pull an alley-oop or to, to shoot right into the goal. Um, you get more points from shooting for shooting further yep. away. So there's, there's good, there's all sorts of good risk reward stuff happening. Um, and one of the cool things is that on their website, you can actually design an 8-bit character and share it with other people and load it into <laughs> the game with a QR code and you can actually design it in the game as well. Um, we, are we in there? We are. We can. We are. We are supposed to reach out to to Micah and and design characters. And Jeremy, if you, would you like to be a character? I'd love it. We can. We can design. We need a six man team. We so can it's, design it's, us and Gary and, and Chloe and and maybe Chloe. My uh, six, because that's how many people are on a team. Okay. So like we we played as worms a lot. I played as worms. There's like Minecraft characters. There's there's all sorts of questionably, you know copyright questionable stuff but i think it all just lives on the website and it's not in the actual game i think you just get to shoot the qr code and it gives the characters in the game when's it coming out uh this fall nice so Soon, yeah soonish yeah um very excited for that, play that for the first time um did you play evolve i did not play evolve so evolve is the game by 2k published by 2k picked up by 2k uh but developed by turtle rock studios these are the ex valve guys who were bought by valve because they've created invented left for dead right so we saw we met them at at a PC gamer um, land party once where they brought Left 4 Dead right after they'd been acquired by Valve or right before they were acquired by Valve or some. I don't remember the deal. It was a huge hit there. This game is is takes a lot of the concepts of Left 4 Dead, you know, the four people that are cooperative versus, a you know, a unknown enemy. Um, but it's actually a five player game. So one person plays the monster, five people, four people play humans instead of having just the same abilities and you choose kind of your your role based on the weapons you pick up as you do in Left 4 Dead, each player has a class um, and they all have different roles to play. So there's a like a pure damage, there's a healer, there's a, a debuffer, snarer kind of person, and then there's a general utility class. Um, and then the, the, the thing about the monster is you're in this arena, you're locked in with a bunch of other um, kind of monsters and animals and critters, and the monster grows and evolves by eating other animals. Hmm. So you eat the animals, you eat a certain number of animals, you have the opportunity to evolve, you evolve, you eat some more animals, get some shields back and you have to play a real, like as the monster, you play a real kind of hit and fade game where you kind of go in, attack the, the humans a little bit, do some damage and then get the hell away, go eat some more stuff, recharge your shields and, and kind of come in and out. On the other hand, 
the human's goal is to keep you trapped in place so that humans have abilities like one of them can drop a, a shield bubble that puts a dome around a certain part of the map that will lock anything that's outside out and anything that's inside in. So that you can't evolve anymore. No, no, no. So that you can't run away. Okay. Um, because evolving takes a, takes time. So evolving takes, say, 30 or 40 seconds. After you evolve, you don't have any shields anymore. I don't think there's a way to regenerate health. You maybe get a little bit back when you evolve. Hmm. Um, but each time you evolve, you get bigger and you're, you get more abilities, more points to spend on abilities and stuff like that. Um, so that you, you know, like the monster I played, abilities included like blowing fireballs or fire streams, ch- picking up chunks of rock and throwing them at people. Um, charging to kind of escape and and double jumping. Um, it's all about vertical mobility. Like the humans have, the monster can climb, you know, King Kong style. The humans can kind of jetpack around. Um, and it was, it was a, uh, in fairness, we were playing with a developer or a PR guy standing over our shoulder, kind of telling us what to do, it, looking at, looking over our shoulder, even playing with us a couple of times, but we were able to do pretty good both as the monster and as the human. Um, and like, it's, it's super compelling. I don't know how they're going to work with matchmaking and stuff like that. I think they're still figuring that, that part out because it's like some people, like there are some classes that you're probably not going to want to play depending on what your kind of first person shooter play style is. Some people are never going to want to play the monster. Some people are always going to want to play the monster and they're working on different ways to, to kind of make that, that matchmaking stuff happen. Um, but like I, I played two or three rounds and immediately I could have turned around and just gone right back in. Like I could have spent the rest of the afternoon happily playing that game. It's super strong. That sounds awesome. Asymmetric. Um, yeah, asymmetric. Good, good co-op. Like it's the kind of thing you want to play with friends. You're not going to play that in a random group. I don't. It think. sounds like at some point the monster becomes so powerful it's game over for the humans. So the monster can only evolve three times. Mm. Um, generally, in order to do that, so when you're evolving, you're kind of helpless. There's a lot of environmental triggers that will tell the humans where you are, as well as uh, some of the human classes have uh, like tracking devices and sensors and stuff like that. Um, like one of the class's whole role is to fire harpoons, drop the shield dome that traps the monster inside and um, fire sensors around and, and then obviously shoot as time allows. But most of the time you're just firing harpoons trying to slow the monster down. Um, you can trap the monster outside the bubble and all your guys inside. You can trap two of your guys. You know, you can trap any subset of your team outside the bubble, which is super bad. Like. You don't want that. I think the humans, if they go down three times, are dead. So it's like a TKO kind of system. Um, you you so typically what you want to do is try to knock one human out and then go after the other humans while they're coming back to revive the first guy before he bleeds out. Um, but it, it it's it was it was a really interesting way to have that like getting that to feel powerful for the monster, but not too powerful for the humans to defeat is a real tricky balance. And I felt like they did a pretty good job. I mean, who knows if it'll hold up when people get good at the game and are playing it for more than 10 minute chunks, but, but we'll see. Um, I think they're going to do an alpha later this year. I also played um, beyond earth, which is not alpha Centauri. It's, it seemed like Sid you did play, play, I played beyond earth. Oh, I would sell on the floor at all. Uh, it wasn't on the floor. It was, I made an appointment. So Sid Meier's next game. Yep. That's like alpha Centauri, but not, I want to hear about this. It is pretty well. Okay, so I had 40 minutes, I think, to play. I said basically just sat down. They're like, hey, have you played Civ 5? I said, yeah, yeah, I played Civ 5. And they're, well, okay, have fun. If you have any questions, ask. Um, you start out as colonist on a planet. It's the not Alpha Centauri, but it is a planet that is 
presumably close enough to be in high demand for earthbound colonists. Um, and it's, it's works just like Civ five, but with a different kind of tech tree, um, there's aliens, there's, uh, different resources to collect. Um, like I, I, I don't think I ever played Alpha Centauri, so it's difficult for me to say, hey, this is just like Alpha Centauri. If you go back and try to play Alpha Centauri now, it kind of doesn't work very well because the resolution of monitors are too big and like the controls are maddening because it's a 1999 or 2000 game, I think. Um, but it, it it scratched my Civ Five itch in a way that wasn't, you know, but starting with a really fairly advanced tech tree and moving forward. Looked really good, really pretty too. So, um, that's pretty much. I played a little bit of the new Borderlands game, but it is more Borderlands. That's okay. You can play as Claptrap. Um, so a bunch of other indie games I played. Uh, some coming out for PC, some for console. Uh, there's a game that I played at Xbox booth that I think is also coming out on PC called. And I think it's my favorite name for a video game. Uh, Honk, I guess. You know what it is. Okay. It's, it's called uh, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Oh, I, that wasn't what I was going to guess, but that game is great. Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Fantastic name. Could be like a rock album or something. Um, and it's a two-player cooperative game uh, that uh, where you're inside a, a ship. It's a, you lo- it looks like you're looking through a cross-section of a spaceship, you know, as if the spaceship was a sphere and you're just, you just cut it in half and you see its decks. Um, kind of like a Okudagram, if you follow Star Trek. Um, and there are like six different rooms, um, and you, as small two little avatars, each jump or run through the ladders and jump through the ship to control different control stations to control the ship. There's one control station that controls navigation that moves the ship through the, sp- the universe. There's uh, each of the corners could be a control different turret. There's one control station that moves the shield around the ship, like a, a shield barrier and one that activates like a powerful weapon, a charged up weapon. And the idea is that you're traveling through the galaxy and then there's one that activates a world map and you're traveling through the, the galaxy, uh, shooting little asteroids, uh, saving rabbits and uh, unlocking hearts. <laughs> and the, the design is beautiful. It's whimsy. Um, it's kind of like space team. Um, it's, it's really frantic is what I found. And the, the, I'm not sure that the balance is perfectly there because one person could just play navigation the entire time. I'm sure that's not gonna be the best way to play it. Um, but I think, uh, the premise is really cool. So that was there. I played that last year and it is, it has gotten much tighter. It is a really, I can't wait for that game to come out. It is really, really pretty and really fun hmm. for two players. Um, the friends at Harmonix, uh, announced and had on de- a demo, a new small game that they, uh, uh, they've been working on. It's not a music game really, although there are music elements. It's a two, six shooter and it's called a city sleeps. Is it a and city sleeps or the city sleeps? I think a city sleeps okay. and, um, you play some hero, uh, that's in, in, in the uh, f- going through the world of dreams, every level is someone's dream, and you can call on these ghost avatars, or ghost powers, um, to to help you. But it's it's very frantic, like a two sick, like like your jumps your war style two sick shooter. Um, it looks good. Uh, I'm not super into the, the the visual style, but the music element is that as you destroy things and you f- play the game, um, that plays that a- activates the music, and so the soundtrack is really cool. I played Centris, uh, Samantha Kalman's game. Uh, the music, it's like concentric rings of music. It's a puzzle game that you make music with. It's neat. It's on early access now. People can go buy it if they want to try it out. I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I also 
also on the list, uh, I played Distance, which is a Wipeout 2048. Is that right? It's like a Wipeout style, not Wipeout the TV show, but Wipeout the yep. old, the, racing the high speed racing game style racing game um, where you frequently have to like double jump and fly through hmm. rings. So you kind of transition from driving to flying to driving to flying and you can fly through some shortcuts and stuff like that it goes really, really fast. Um, which is a kind of hallmark of those games. But the thing I liked about it is it was tuned so that you kind of used boost as liberally as you wanted because you kept recharging boost and recharging boost and recharging boost. It was it was it was a thoroughly enjoyable game. What are the, what are the physics like? Is it really floaty like the wipeout games? Um, the car driving bits felt really tight, like like F zero tight maybe. Mm-hmm. Where the while the while the flying bits were appropriately floaty, and if you impacted something, then all of a sudden you would spin out of control as if you had very little friction. <laughs> so you had to like the neat thing about it though was you know how in Wipeout you'll sometimes like lose control, bounce off the edge, and flip out of the out of the track. Yeah. Uh, with this, you could just hit double jump and use the flight controls to kind of fly back into the track if you had enough boost to get there. <laughs> so it was neat. Like I think I think when you're flying, you have to be using boost. I never exactly was able to figure that out without dying. So like the boot, the amount of boost you have is, is the gate for how much flying you can do. Um, I also played a bunch of board games. I played uh slap 45, which is a Kickstarter right now. Um, it's kind of like war in that people are drawing cards and you put your hand down on the table to indicate things. But instead of being war, it's a, it's um, the three cards that drop are a six shooter, a cannon and a horse. If you put your hand down on the horse, the horse, you you take damage. If you do the pistol, you point at someone, you slap the pistol, point at someone, they take damage. If you get the cannon, unless they're in cover, the whole other thing to get into, uh, the cannon does damage whether you have cover or not. Um, it was super, it was, it was an interesting, interesting, I played that with Harley Quinn, it seemed like. So she was, she was very into the gun bits. Um, A couple games I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, I think we all played this game. Uh, Dan Amrick, our friend Dan Amrick, introduced me uh, to uh, Mommy's Best Games. Um, they made they make these weird offbeat games um, that are on Steam and Xbox Live. There's one called Serious Sam Double XXL. Um, but the game they had showing there was called Pig Eat Ball. Pig Eat Ball was really good. Pig Eat Ball, four player, uh, very retro looking, like kind of like Zombies Ate My Neighbors style game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the logo kind of looks like. Miss Pac Man, kinda, uh, kinda a lot like Miss Pac Man. Um, you play as uh, a, a piggy, and you run around at the top down. Uh, you live on a space station. You got to eat these ten- tennis balls, the yummies, and the, the more you eat, the bigger you get. Um, and so each level, you have a four, it's like very Pac Man esque four player running around, either destroying blocks, eating balls, doing other other objectives. Um, if you if you you can charge though, there's an yes, offensive you can charge, about so you can you make can, people make the other picks throw up the balls. Yeah, and and it's competitive. Then you eat their vomited up yes. balls. Yeah, so it's it's very cute, very novel. But the coolest thing with this game is it also ties into uh, there's f- feedback, force feedback. So you sit on a rumble pad, like a, this colored pad. Yeah, and. Where do I find such a rumble? Pack? They will. I guess they'll sell it. Okay. I, it seemed uh, like they were. That was just for packs when I asked. Oh, the, yeah. It, 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 they, the it, game's still good. I, I really hope they release the packs <laughs> the because game is good without the butt the, rumble. The, the butt rumble is the the, the 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 most exciting thing. Was so fun because you're you're so, staring at the screen. You're like intensely chasing down these balls. Yeah. And then you ram into someone's 
uh, you can't run to the front, but if you ran to the, the rear end, yeah. then or their side. butt rumbles. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're just like intensely tracking these balls and getting all these conveyor belts and breaking blocks and suddenly this guy's chasing you and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And then he slams into you and then your butt rumbles. It is jarring and delightful uh, in a way that I have not experienced a party game being so for a long time. I will tell you, you can make anyone's butt rumble. All they had done was cut a hole in the side of the Xbox 360 controller and wired one of the rumble motors up to the butt rumblers. So if we can find a source for butt rumblers, we can make all of your Xbox controllers do that, Norm. Expensive mod. That is a thing we can do. Buy some game GameStop ones. GameStop game controllers. Can you turn me down a tad? Uh, Generic ones. Um, I also played Broforce. Oh, Broforce is out on Steam. Uh, Is Broforce out on Steam? It is a Steam game. It's early uh, access, maybe, but maybe yeah. it's early access. It's a side scroller. Um, it's a just cool. world destructible side scroller with characters that are not explicitly are not from eighties action movies. They are. They look like they're from action. It's, it looks. It's. Mac- it's MacGyver like, makes an appearance. It's a uh, visually. It's not like Super Time Force eight bit games. You know, very colorful side scroller. Um, the world is very destructible. You can only shoot left and right. You can't shoot up. Um, but four players can play, and you unlock heroes. And these heroes, they have co-op. dozens of them co op. That's cool. And the heroes are all variants of your favorite action heroes from the eighties, nineties, and the thousands. Yes. Um, there's. And they keep adding more, uh, it they, seems like. Every every month, they're adding a new one And in terms of game design. They all do different things. Like Indiana Jones, throw, their Indiana Jones character throws, um, throws dynamite. Um, Blade has a, a burst attack with a knife. Hmm. They might even add the bride from Kill Bill. Um, there's, of course, Chuck Norris. There's Commando. Um, Rambo, there's, looks like. Rambo is definitely in there. Uh, Will Smith from Men in Black is in there. That's great. Is, it, um, is there a Neo? I don't know if there's a Neo, um, but the maps look fantastic. It's ridiculous, and it was a ton of fun. And I believe there was an early access that has uh, the four Expendables characters that are that you can play for free right now. Oh, that's interesting. Did you uh, did you play the N plus plus multiplayer? I did not play that. So I played that with four random people and had an absolute wonderful time. Do you remember N plus plus? Yeah. The, it was a Flash game, I yeah. think, originally. Then it came out on all the consoles. So they added four player competitive racing through the levels, but they made the levels virtually impossible if you were playing by yourself. So like there'll be a line of mines in the way that I don't think you could dodge and you have to wait for somebody to take the hit hmm. and then jump through and hope you get through before they respawn. It, it was it was devious, <laughs> fiendish. Um, I think the most interesting thing I played was. Uh, this thing called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Oh, I want to say that for the very end because it will transition to the te- technology talk. Damn, you oh. guys played some games. There, it's I was there for three days. What are you going to do if, when you're at PAX except for hang out you and play, play board games? games? I don't play any board games. Wait, when you played board games, how did you find your how, people to do that with? Uh, I have a couple, couple of friends who were like, hey, text me if you play board games. Yeah. And then I posted on Twitter when we wanted to play something that was like a five-player game and only had two or three people and two people showed up. Cool. Yeah, so I met uh, Taylor and Dave, I think. No, not Dave. Mike. Dave was the guy sitting next to us who also recognized the site. Hmm. Um, so um, we played Waterdeep. We played a game called Ugtect on Friday on Thursday night. That is a game about being a caveman architect. This is probably good with kids. <laughs> um, you have like four or five blocks and pieces of cardboard and stuff. And basically, the the goal of the game, if you're the the Ugtect, is to make the blocks 
uh, make the blocks look like they do on a card that you draw. So you have to race the other team to complete your sculpture first. But you can only use the language that the game allows. So the game, like you have motion descriptions for this means like red block. Yeah. And then you say gungu, which means put it in front of the other ones. Sounds great for kids. It is great for kids. But you have a, a an inflatable club that you can use to tell people whether they're whether they get something correct or incorrect. So you, so you, <laughs> you if it's correct you bang them once on the head. Bam bam. If it's incorrect you bang them twice on the head. It was a, it was a good it was a good kind of party game to meet people Is there you don't any speaking know. at all in the game? Well you say caveman words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gungu but the, and no English. Kogungu and no English. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, penalties for what's English. What's it called? It's called Ugtect. Got it. And it has two inflatable clubs, so you know, you're not going to oh, go wrong with that. Two. Um, I also played Coup. Which is the new Resistance game? Have you guys played that yet, Norm? Yeah, we played it last year and in, uh, earlier, way earlier this year. We did, we don't we'll go back to it. It's not. Yeah, I like I like conceptually. I like Kickstarter it, game, but it, it's it seems like it doesn't really have legs. Yeah, you, uh, you can't get enough information, I guess. Um, I'm just super proud of myself for playing Settlers of Catan finally. Ooh, that's it. Like the last board game I played was Monopoly. Congratulations. Yeah, there are easier Welcome games to- than Settlers to get into that are actually more fun. Settlers, it's a little bit of a commitment. Do you guys play Waterdeep at all? Lords of Waterdeep? No. Um, well, I haven't. Maybe people will tell us too. Okay. Uh, Firewatch was there. Uh, they unveiled a the trailer. Um, they they showed gameplay at the they panel. They showed that gameplay I was at. and uh, not playable, but this is the game made by the uh, X Telltale Campo guys, Santo. Campo Santo, and they are the uh, oh, yeah. the the, um, the Idle thumbs. thumbs, all the Idle Thumbs guys, plus uh, Ollie Moss as their art director, um, and, and Chris Remo, and they have a bunch of they have a, real like an eight man team, yeah, yes. So uh, that game looks fantastic from the trailer. It's what kind of game is it? It's a mystery. Okay, you, um, but it's a kind of it's kind of a it's a little bit open. It, it okay. So the gameplay that they showed in the panel seemed made it seem like it was a little bit open world, which I'm not sure if it, that's entirely accurate. Um, but it's you can kind of experiment with stuff in the world in a way that kind of reminded me of Gone Home. So you can you can pick up a lot of objects, you can carry them with you, you can put them in your backpack, you can put them in other places. It didn't seem like. Like that made me immediately made me think it was like a LucasArts style adventure game where you have to collect all the stuff and then use the antlers and the radio and the D cell batteries to make a weapon. I, it's not that kind of game at all. Um, it's more that they, there's just a lot of inter- interesting interaction that can happen as you're exploring the world. And then you, your main point of contact and the way the story drives is this. You have a radio. So you're in a fire watchtower in like the Wyoming wilderness. Your main, your boss, and the only human that you regularly talk to is this woman named Delilah, who's on the other end of the radio. She's in presumably one of the adjoining watchtowers, um, and you have to explore the story of this guy who decided he wanted to go live in the wilderness by himself for six months or a year, however long you do that for. It really does feel like uh, a Walking Dead style uh, adventure game with the conversations and the things that have effects, yeah. and but also combined with the Gone Home style of first person exploring yeah. and mystery solving, um, and they're they're using all their play tests to add more dialogue stuff in, so the weird things that people do will have effects. Uh, I think it'll be open world in the sense that you know you won't be able to go to the next area or things events won't happen until you achieve a certain task, or like uh, or like you or, get an or, item, like you get a repelling rope, and then you can go down the cliff and then there will be time jumps i think uh forward uh in which the things that you do pa- 
before the time jump. So you know how in The Walking Dead, between the episodes, the things that you did affect things the next episode? That'll happen within the one game uh, with their time jumps. One of the things that was interesting was they talked about... this. So it's a Unity game, but they talked about using stuff from the Unity store... Um, and they're they're buying like lighting lighting stuff and and you know things to help manage all the the dialogue and stuff like that as Unity plugins that they're just so they're not having to write a lot of that the stuff themselves yeah. which is really neat. Right. Asset store is amazing. It seems pretty pretty crazy. One specific yeah. thing they talked about um, was for example you can you can take a screenshot um, of their game and, and and download that into Photoshop and the art director can tweak that. And upload back up, and it'll process it. So the effects that he made on the textures and the look will get implemented in the engine. It, it, the game has a really unique look, visual style hmm. that doesn't necessarily convey in screenshots. I would say. Hmm. Um, let's see. I played Broken Age. Oh, sorry, not Broken Age. The new one. Uh, Massive Chalice. Massive oh. Chalice. Um, I'm singing Double Fine. Was yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Broken Age. No, I got to play Massive Chalice. You know, it it hit all my XCOM urges. Really? It's a little more melee focused. But the neat thing about it that I didn't realize is that you actually have like a whole genealogy simulator. So you, you control heroes um, and you can place them in the in the strategy game bits. But then when the strategy game bits end, you can like, you know, set up, mar- arrange marriages between different lines of your nobles. And like that passes traits down so um you kind of felt like you had this in rogue legacy but it didn't really it seemed like it was kind of random after you played a lot this you can take one class and another class and make a hybrid class out of them by playing over i think it's like you know thousands of years hundreds of years thousands of years it seemed like you know in in XCOM when you hit the fast forward button and it goes through hours and then days this seemed like it was going through months and then mm. years and you're fighting against a encroaching darkness or something in your kingdom I don't know about that stuff but mm. the com- the 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 combat was good and the genealogy stuff looked super interesting and that stuff is procedural it seems like it yeah that's pretty cool yeah I think it's all I mean it's a it's a Brad Muir game so it's he's usually pretty deep into procedural stuff so have you seen a uh, universe sandbox 2 <laughs> yes <laughs> no um, it's a free alpha right now that you can you can buy into, but it is a sandbox. It's a universe simulator. Uh, the first one is on Steam actually. You can get right now. Can I change Planck's um, constant? I don't know exactly what in physics you can change, but you can definitely change the attributes of celestial bodies. Um, it's a open world sandbox simulator. You just are window into the galaxy, and you can just drop, create your own solar systems and your own galaxies by dropping celestial bodies and just see how they react and fast forward time i assume and fast forward time yeah, so the, the demo they were showing at packs the guy was just like oh what if let's uh let's drop 50 comets around earth and see what happens and then speed up time and see or, or what happens if the solar system have two suns or what happens if we had eight moons but they're all too close wow. and then incredible effects so you're playing god um and it looked awesome um, I played a couple, a couple other things that I want to talk about briefly. I played Hotline Miami 2, which is just more Hotline Miami uh, with more guns and more masks. And like th- that game is awesome. looks awesome. The music's still rad and it's super violent if you're into that whole thing. Um, it seems like the new ones may be a little bit harder than the old one. I had a I had a, a little bit of a challenge with the level they were demoing. Um, 
uh, I watched a ton of people play below, but didn't get a chance to play it. Um, they, there was an enormous line the entire time. It's the new game from Cappy. It's coming out next year. They're the super time force. And I think super brothers folk. Um, and it's, it's got some procedural parts and then some kind of story driven, um, you know, designed parts, uh, seem neat. And I played a game called Ori and the darkest, the dark forest or the blind forest or something like that. That is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Like the most, like really phenomenal art it, it was in the xbox one section of the of the floor um i don't know what else it's coming to but but it was a neat kind of metroidvania apologies uh where you have to you know explore this this gorgeous side-scrolling world and um the animation on the main character was deliberate and unbelievable to the point like she was reaching up and grabbing stuff and like it was it's really a neat like cool game. Um, and has some neat platforming elements when you get further into the into the game. How long are the longest lines? Uh, the line for Evolve, which was probably the longest, was maybe two hours. Wow. Um, they usually cap them. Yeah. So uh, like there will be an enforcer standing at the end of the line that says, hey, this line's full. Come back in two hours. Um, the best way to get into the stuff that has the long lines is usually to get go like very first thing in the morning or right at 10 o'clock when the door opens. And you can usually get right there. Um, my advice is usually don't, don't wait in line for stuff. Like you can walk around the indie mega booth and play 10 games in an hour easily. Um, you can go to the sixth floor and play games in that open area and, and play a ton of, ton of great stuff. Um, it's just like, it, it's going to be like whatever Microsoft's showing, like the Bloodborne line, which is the, the, the game from the Sony game. That's the follow up to dark, uh, uh, dark souls is that line was ridiculous the whole time. Um, I didn't play that. I didn't wait in line for that, but yeah, so that that's, that's, Oh, and keep talking and nobody explodes. This was my, this was probably my favorite thing at PAX. Uh, I went down with a couple of friends and we played, we sat down at this game. It's uh, one Oculus, one Oculus Rift. One person wears an Oculus Rift. Oh, this is the bomb diffusing. This game. is the bomb diffusing game. Everyone else sits around a table and they have a, a manual. That's a bomb diffusing manual. Now, what is that? Is that a printout or is that it an is iPad? It is a printout in a binder, like paper. <laughs> you can write notes on it. With the, so these guys you could play it on an iPad, but it'll be best as a printout. Yeah, more authentic. I, I think you could do the. I think you do the Oculus part in an iPad pretty easily. You would have to have no visual other contact with other person. Yeah, the, in a separate room or, or or facing away or something yeah. like that. Yeah, being be the person that's diffusing the bomb, being stuck with all their yeah. senses, visual senses yeah. being in that game is partially what makes that game exciting. So so yeah, if you're to put it in the terms of 24, which many of us are familiar with, the person wearing the Oculus is Jack Bauer. He's faced with a bomb of unknown make and origin. The people with the binder are Chloe sitting back at CTU opening ports and business, flipping dramatically through the manual to figure out how to defuse the bomb. Uh, so you, when you sit down at the table, the guys had a little card, a little postcard um, that you everybody wrote their names on. You wrote how many times you'd done it before. You wrote the difficulty level you wanted. And then you took notes on the far side. And at the end, they stamped it either succe- succeeded or failed. So you had a little memento of the game. It was, it was very clever. When you sit down, the first probably 30 seconds on a five-minute timer are you trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to be doing. Um 
eventually we got to the point where we had the guy who's wearing the glasses just describe the bomb to us. Yeah. You know, so he's, he has a bomb. He realizes he can turn it around and look at the back and the sides and stuff and has to describe, you know, how many wires there are, what color the wires are, what the order of the wires is. So it's a different bomb every time. Different you play. bomb every time. I mean, presumably, I, I don't know. We only played it once. Yeah. Cause it was a pretty good line most of the time. <clears throat> Um, you had keypads and batteries and all sorts of different stuff. You had to figure out decode symbols. And so the person wearing the, wearing the glasses had to describe the symbols, the goggles, the goggles, the person, the people on the note notebook had to like figure out which symbols they were talking about. And you ended up talking about things like, Oh yeah, it's the one with the chair and all this. And then the puzzles to decode the bombs were actually a series of usually fairly nested logic puzzles. So for example, there'd be like 10 wires and it would be like, if the last wire is black, then do this unless the next wire is green or the last two wires are opposite colors or, you know, and it ended up being a really, it was super fun. Like it was another one of those things I would have turned around and gone right back in and done again. So the line wasn't so long, but the last day. Does everybody want the goggles or is it fun to play? It was fun. I, I didn't play as the goggles and I had a really good time. Cool. Yeah. So, and of course the people who had the notebook can't see of course. what's what's on the screen either. Right. The thing that was interesting about it is it seemed like a really good way to, to kind of share the Oculus when you first get it. Like, like, hey, I got my new Oculus. You guys want to come over and try it out? Because you only have one. Because you only have one. And then it's not like three people sitting in the room waiting to try the Oculus. Totally. And share pink eye with everybody else. So, um, so is this going to be a commercial game? Seems like it. Yeah. It seems like they, like they were very coy. They said they were talking to people about it. Hmm. Um, I think that, I think we'll see if we can get a build from them. We can try on one of our, do an Oculus live stream at some point in the not too distant future and try it out there. Um, but I, I was like, it was, it's the first thing that I've seen out of Oculus, like we've seen a lot of virtual cockpits and a lot of cool jump scares and stuff like that, but it's the first virtual reality game that I've seen that was like something completely different that would be that that makes that uses the virtual reality both in the way that it isolates you from the rest of the room right. and for the 3D and all the being able to look around. And it all uses that, that isolation for the game for the game. Yeah, it's important that like the game wouldn't work without that isolation. So um, and speaking of Oculus. Is that anything else for you from Pax? That's it. You're good? That's good. You went to the the EMP one day? Yes, the Experience Music Project, best museum on the West Coast. Wow. Bold words. Um, This morning, Samsung and and Oculus revealed the Gear VR. Innovators edition. Oh, Innovators. Sorry. That means it's early and you're paying for beta stuff. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> basically what the gear VR is, is like, it's a, it's a case into which you jam a Samsung galaxy note four, not out yet, not out yet. Uh, and then you strap that on your head, like a pair of goggles and you have access to an Android version of the Oculus experience. It's, it's powered by Oculus. They provide software and presumably they had something to do with the gyroscopes and accelerometers and stuff that are inside the phone. I don't think they did. You don't think so? No, I think they did want to, it's the first stage for a common platform, um, for all Android for mobile, mobile VR and Sam just got it first. Well, the write up on the, that Oculus sent out to their Kickstarter backers said something about custom sensors. But I don't know if on the phone. I don't know. I don't know if those are external or if they worked on the internals, but they definitely worked at the kernel level of Android, which they said that's what one of the things Carmack's been working on for the last X number of months. I think it's been his main thing. Yeah. Um, This explains a little bit more about why the Galaxy Note screen, like a screen that says Samsung on it, is inside the Oculus DK2. Certainly does. Yeah. 
It's cool. Um, it's cool that it's an untethered VR experience. I'd love to try that. Yep. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't have any intention to buy that phone. Yeah, so it's a it's a high end, super high end phone. We're talking about a, a massive phone, five point seven inches, which can be bigger than your both your your iPhone sixes. How expensive is it um, unlocked? They have not said. The phone is also announced today at IFA, uh, coming out in October worldwide. Uh, but you, you can assume it's a Note, so it'll have a stylus and it'll have all your other fancy stuff. Um, have previous ones been iPhone prices? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, if if not more, uh, the notes are typically their their higher end ones. Fifty or hundred bucks um, more sometimes. And it is uh, a fourteen forty p display, uh, which is not surprising. Um, and the phone. Uh, this is the only phone that will work with the this Gear VR, uh, which is an accessory. Um, they added some extra controls to the side, um, and then Oculus is also developing software. So there's a a whole UI. Oculus Home experience for buying stuff. There's like a store, right? Um, That's the Oculus Home. Yeah. There's the cinema, which, which we've looks, seen before. I mean, this one shot's been released, but it looks pretty cool. A variety of environments that mm-hmm. you can watch any of your movies on. It has um, some 3D trailers for 3D movies. Uh, is there a way to get 3D movies on Android now? What do you mean? Can't you just put whatever movies yeah, you want on I mean, there? I mean, a distribution system. I'm sure there are distribution hubs that specialize in that. But these, this will be one of those. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. None of us here plan on getting on Galaxy Note Four as their primary phones. So, so I mean, it's uh, not a lot of value for us. There's probably a lot of Oculus hardcore fans who are probably just going to buy it unlocked for this. Like this, it's not going to be their phone. It's just going to be their portable Oculus. That's ex- too. Ex- I think it's too expensive. We're talking about unlocked phones being the six hundred, seven hundred. Yeah, it's crazy expensive price range. But why would they do that? And, and the big difference between this experience and the. Uh, the current DK2 experience is there are a bunch of trade-offs. You have high-resolution screen, which says to us, mm-hmm. consumer rift is going to have at least this screen, at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is one of the reasons this partnership exists, and, and so much effort was put in this is one they want Oculus Mobile SDK. That's that's part of their strategy, because portable virtual reality is is a big deal, um, in addition to the tethered PC gaming experience, um, and they want access to those panels. So we're going to get 4040p. DK2 is a Note 3 panel, right? I think it's a Note 3 panel. Okay. Uh, 1080p Note 3 AMOLED. So we're going to see, and that will be interesting for Note 4 because, you know, there's a big difference between LCD and AMOLED. um, And a 1440p AMOLED, we don't know what that looks like up in front of our eyes. Oh, this is an LCD. This is AMOLED. Oh, this is AMOLED. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm saying other people, I mean, the options were if they were looking for panel right, suppliers, right. could have been LCD or AMOLED. And it looks like if this is the trajectory they're going in and they got the ramp up for production, it looks like this is will be very similar to the panel that they're going to use. Um, they might get custom hardware for lower latency. Um, so this is so this is a gyroscope accelerometer. There's no depth cam, obviously, unless they're doing something tricky with the camera on the no, phone. No, they, they said no positional tracking. Okay, three degrees of freedom. There, six. there is a pass through button, so you can hit a button on the thing, and then it'll show you a video from the camera, which points out the front of the phone. That's pretty cool. So you can see around you theoretically, which is nice. Um, no price yet. No release. No date. price. They said this year, this fall, this fall for sure. So with, with the note coming out October. It's got to be. Oh, I thought it was after that. Maybe not. The note's going to come out October. Okay, so okay. who knows? So, so is the SDK. Yeah. And SDK is coming out October. So maybe uh, maybe soon after that. Um, 
Oh, I, this what? kind of accessory's got to be at least a hundred bucks. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking a hundred bucks because, it, but it's not much more than a few buttons and a, and a holder for the screen. Just well, if there's extra electronics in, in it, maybe there is. I don't know how many electronics there are. They haven't said. Well, they said there's like accelerometer, the gyro, and the proximity stuff is all built in. To what? I, I to think the that's, goggles. I think it's built into the goggles. Okay. Um, Ninety-six degree field of view. Twenty less than twenty seconds. That's less than DK2. latency. Uh, oh, you're, I guess you're right. Yeah. 96. Uh, what was DK2? 100? 100. And that was reduced from DK1 to 110. Yep. Yeah. Wrong direction. Um, Go I wider. haven't noticed it with the DK2 yet. I do. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Jeremy. Uh, USB 1.1 connection to the, the Note 4. I, I, really? I don't know. That's, that's, what, that's what it says. Um, there's no weight on it. It looked so. One of the interesting things to me about that the design of the of the shell is I, I wonder if it's a Samsung design or an Oculus design or a Samsung Plus Oculus design. Yeah, because like it's a it is a more comfortable looking head mount. It, it looked like it does look lighter. It's still um, a top head mount. It's still, but they put that they put a hard plastic thing on the front here on the top of your head, which presumably will grip a little bit better or pr- distribute the weight a little more evenly. Um, grip better. From I the photo know. of uh, and a photo of people using, it, there's one photo of John Carmack using this. Does he look cool? Don't cool they look smaller? Carmack. Isn't that funny that it looks smaller, given that it's a bigger screen than the DK2? Well, Carmack has a really big head. You think that's just think a scale issue? Oh well. The, it, it looks like that top hard part is then connected to a soft strap, and the top hard part is just for bracing. Mm. It's, it's, instead of it being a soft strap all the way across the top, uh, you have a hard section that braces the top of your forehead, but that hard part isn't locked into the Oculus as like one solid piece. Here, here's the thing that worries me about this is Samsung has tried to do their own thing multiple times in the past. I mean, they tried to do it with the watches and kind of bombed out with that. Um, they try, they've tried to do their own custom UIs in the past and that has been a pretty abysmal failure. Um, I'm interested. Like, I I don't think that Samsung has the legs to make this happen on a platform level. I think it has to come from Google or Apple or Microsoft or somebody else who owns an actual platform, not just Samsung. I think it's. I think doesn't the Oculus I, partnership mean anything? I mean, they're. Tr- I mean, potentially going to develop. That's the, the wild card, I guess. Right? Is that Oculus is the the leader in this right now? Um, it was interesting that Sony didn't have any Morpheus stuff at PAX, too. Hmm. Like, I, I kind of think they don't know what to do with that exactly. Like, I, I don't know if anybody knows what to do with VR stuff. And maybe this is the easiest way to get VR out there is that now Samsung's going to, a year from now, you'll be able to get one of these for whatever Samsung phone you happen to buy. The other interesting thing is no no headphones for this. Built well, in. Your, your earbuds, right? Yes. But like, you would think that all in one system would, would. You know, I will say if you were on an airplane and you had a Note 4 as your phone, this is a great media center. It's a great way to watch a movie. Lean back and That's true. navigate with just your head turning yeah. and watch a 3D movie, walk through Tony Stark's lab. Uh, for us, for our purposes, there's no way to show the content here. Whatever content we're Had a demo? Yeah, demo. Yeah, there's already a video Will was showing me this. Yeah, Ben Gilbert over at Engadget was, was describing with words just what he was you, seeing. Talks you through VR. It's the same thing we had with the with the Google Cardboard. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know... I, like I, I don't know what this, I don't, I don't know. I think this is a, essentially a developer kit. They're just not saying, "Hey, this is a developer kit." We're putting this out there so you can build Android apps that use VR. Um, and, and also, yeah. there is no way to get 3D movies 
for Android right now that I'm aware of. I, I did a little bit of Googling. But you can't you just copy your own 3D movies on there? Like <laughs> What? Um, you can rip them. Yeah. Yeah. Is that illegal? I don't know if it's illegal. I don't know what the formats look like. I don't know what the formats look like for converting 3D Blu-ray to 3D MP4 or MKV or whatever. Yeah. Um, so just, it all depends on what the player supports. I well, guess. it's just side by side. You know, usually the 1080 uh, ha- oh, I know. half side half resolution side by side. Well, but for I guess and I guess the video player will take that 1080 half resolution and and skew it for yeah. the for the goggles. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I kind of w- I was a, I think it's really cool that they're foc- that there's this new thing coming from Oculus, but I'm a, I was a little disappointed that this was what Carmack was working on because I was hoping that he'd be focusing on some. Something for the PC, maybe enhancing the DK, you know, the the consumer version hardware, working on a platform for the store or something else for the PC, Um, a a game perhaps. My hunch is that this is a thing, this is a product that exists to get Oculus a better deal on panels and to get them the hardware, the, the, you know, if you look at what they need for panels for VR versus what you need for panels for phones and TVs and everything else in the world. They have much lower latency requirements. They have all the on off strobing stuff. Yeah. Like all of that is going to require this is the favor for Sam- to This Samsung? is the thing that Samsung wanted in exchange right. for building panels for them. And if Samsung's doing those changes on a, on a galaxy note Four scale, so it's not their best selling phone. It's not a massive mass market ultra phone, but it's a phone that still sells millions of units then that lets them get the cost down and gets the cost down on the panels for the, for the Oculus. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what we're looking at here. And if the mobile experience is the, the, the bare bones, like the lowest end hardware, and he's talking about developing drivers and stuff. So you're guaranteed a certain level of performance that all feeds back up to PCs because we're all worried about what Oculus can be like on a PC when not everyone has a super high end PC to run those games. And, it, and honestly, if this thing is just a plastic shell, I mean, if it ends up being just a plastic shell, then it's the kind of thing that Oculus could conceivably or, and Samsung could give away in, if you buy a $50, if you buy $50 worth of credit in the Oculus store, they'll send you the the goggles. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? You get the goggles for for essentially free. Did you see all the technical stuff that's in the the mobile SDK that, that Carmack worked on? No. The list of technical things? Like what? Like, oh, yeah, I did. It was, yeah. just, it was jumbly joke. But that's the stuff that we want on the PC side that... It's just yeah, but that's a, but that's all low level Android hacking. I mean, it's not going to no, no, no. Like the, the stop, stop talking about the enabling asynchronous time warp. Yeah, like that's we want that. On, I mean, there is some of that, and the, the, that will make its way up to the PC SDK. Um, but yes, a lot of it is making it work on it on a mobile phone. Yeah, which eventually will probably be what we're all using anyway. Ten years from now, yeah, less maybe. Um, should we talk about, uh, anything else? There was a couple other things from IFA that were kind of interesting. I mean, obviously they announced the galaxy note Four. um, Sony introduced a tablet that is now a PS4 live streaming endpoint, uh, including an accessory that you can clip a DualShock four, clip your tablet onto a DualShock four or a tablet DualShock four onto a tablet, depending on how you look at it, which seems kind of interesting that the live streaming DeVita works really well. Um, I've been playing Diablo laying in bed at night from my PlayStation, on the on the uh, on the Vita, it's a it's a real dark time right now. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of Sony phones. Sony's on board with Galaxy with with uh, Android Gear watches, Google Gear watches for their for their watch. They have a three hundred and twenty by three hundred and twenty transfective display watch coming out soon. 
Um, I think that's it. That's all the stuff that I saw so far. That that IFA stuff is still going on. Though, What's so. transflective? It means that it, remember the original GBA? Sure. It had a transflective screen, so that meant that it was it will work in sunlight. So it'll use sunlight to bounce off of the to reflect light back behind the LCD pixels and then blast them out. It'll also use a backlight if mm. you need one or front light that does the same thing. Sounds good for a watch. Sounds like being able to see it outside in the bright sun seems important. Bonus. Probably long battery, longer battery life, too. I would I would think so. Yeah. Um, Intel this week at PAX actually announced their eight core consumer CPUs. Oh, the thousand dollar CPU. They're all, I'll tell you a secret, Jeremy. Ooh. since the dawn of time, That's why I come here. Intel's highest-end consumer CPU has cost $1,000. Extreme Edition. Right. Before it was called the Extreme Edition, it was just called like a Pentium 3 500. That one was 1000 bucks too. Um, I don't know why you need an 8-core CPU for consumers on the desktop anymore. It's lower clock speed than your uh, their Quadros uh, Canyon, that their Quad or even their 4 gigahertz dual CPU, dual-core CPU. Yeah. But what about that DDR4 magic? Is that uh, yes? That that's where the magic is. So is that, is that good? This is the first consumer CPU, and, and eight cores. Like in the past, server cores have gone up to 12, 12 cores. They've had dual CPUs that you can put in, in a motherboard, right? The, the Skulltrail stuff. So that, but um, that was, and that was also high. Yeah, that was quad core. For yes, Skull two trail. two quad. Or yes, two two cores for a quad core. Right. If you um, want to do a server, though, you can get twenty four cores on a blade. Yeah. No oh, yeah. problem. No that's, problem. That's not a big deal. If you want to build a PC at home, though, uh, your past best option was an Ivy Bridge E, which was an eight core, but two of the cores blocked off, so you had only access six cores. Hexacore. Yeah. Um, so now you have eight actual cores, hyper threaded. So sixteen virtual cores plus. Uh, clock speeds three three gigahertz goes up to three point five. Overclock it. People have done it to four four point five. No problem. Um, and uh, it's all for video encoding and three D modeling. So if you if you run a lot of ray tracing, is it going to get me full frame rate in Elite Dangerous? No, I think you probably that's, need a bigger that's still, video that's card still for that. That's, that's all GPU. That's all GPU. That's all still I th- GPU. I, th- I think this is for people who are doing video encodes that on stuff that doesn't use CUDA or OpenCL. Mm. Um, maybe, uh, like your, your raw processing apps are probably not mm-hmm. CUDA or OpenCL accelerated yep. so yet. Photos. D, uh, D noise applicate filters and stuff like that are CPU bound. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, that's why I don't know who this is for exactly. But it is the platform they're also launching uh, DDR4 on, yeah, which will make its way down to the the uh, the other the lower end desktop uh, chipsets. So it's a new chipset at the end of the Ivy Bridge era before Broadwell. Broadwell, and presumably we'll see another new chipset with Broadwell next year. Like I don't, this seems like a not a thing you should buy, but I don't know for sure. Okay, like. Um, I think you're better off getting a big, unless you have really specific needs for lots of cores, like you're using Handbrake to rip DVDs, you should probably just get a a quad core, hexacore, and a giant ass video card. Or two. Yeah, or two. For a thousand bucks, you can get two 780s. Um, Now, don't we expect new video cards this month? So realistically. Is it this month or it'll be before? I heard this month. Okay. Yeah, maybe then. So maybe wait on that. Yeah, I, I, it seems like it's weighed on a lot of stuff right now. Is it? Yeah. I want to upgrade now. My PC is five years old. It's time. You need more frames in Elite. I do. Sorry, Jeremy. It's not time yet. Wait, wait. Um, I have the CPU right there, Jeremy. Right there. You're not supposed to talk about that yet. I can have that. Oh, you can talk about it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reviews are out. Oh, okay. I just need some DDR4. Where's the good DDR4? They're expensive. Crucial? 
Yeah, DDR4 is crazy expensive. Crazy expensive right is it? now. Yeah. Well, what is it? Eighty bucks for twelve gigs of DDR3. What is what is eight, what is twelve gigs of DDR4 cost? Can you that's, get that's it? That's cheap for twelve gigs of cheese. I, I, I think DDR3, and I haven't bought DDR3 in a in a while. It did stabilize. There's a plummeting of prices. Um, I thought I just checked. It was like twice that. Yeah. It, it's 16, like, oh, 16 gigs is one hundred eighty two bucks. It's like for ten the bucks, high end stuff. It's like ten bucks a gig at. Um, at DDR3. Yeah, that seems right. At DDR4, it's, I think, maybe five times that. They saw for eight gigs, it was like 400 bucks. Can you buy ECC because server memory is cheap because they've been doing DDR4 and servers for a long time? I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. ECC is a little slower anyway. Um, we've, we're running out of time here, so I'm going to blow through a couple mm. of things real fast. Um, the Russian Zero-G sex geckos died in orbit. Did you oh, hear about wow. this? They launched a bunch of geckos, five geckos, and a satellite. Something happened. The geckos came back mummified. It's basically the beginning of the Andromeda strain. We don't know if they were able to successfully copulate in space, but they do. I don't think they do anymore. <laughs> oh no! Um, uh, the mystery of the uh, De- Death Valley moving rocks solved oh. finally. How did they solve this, Norm? They put a uh, fuck ton of sensors on the rocks, including uh, accelerometers, uh, time lapse cameras, and uh, magnetometers, uh, mag- magnetic field sensors. <laughs> Modern cavemen. Putting sensors on rocks. On rocks, because well, the rocks you know, mysteriously you know move. Yeah, the rocks mysteriously move. Nobody could figure out how yeah, that no, happened. Like a giant rock. Enormous distance. Yeah. Enormous, like, and, and leave a trail. Uh, it just turns out that the rocks uh, were pushed on ice by ice. So ice was very pooling underneath ice. them and freezing no, 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 and no, pushing no, no, them? No, 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 Very thin ice. Uh, the, a, large, a large amount of very thin ice with the right winds shifted the rocks and because it's very very thin ice you can tell i don't believe this i think millimeters moon men i like it i like your theory will um uh, apple this morning posted app store review guidelines for app rejection and list comment listed common reasons that apps are rejected um everybody should read this if they're interested in that stuff it was it was a there was a it was a kind of crazy list well there's a lot of it's about the new technologies it's Uh, it's about HomeKit and uh, the other new ones, health, yes. health kit, and then what will what will get you rejected if you don't abide by these new rules? Well, it also has all the old guidelines into which I guess okay. I maybe mean, I never looked at before. Um, but they they like they talk about it being the only place that they curate in their in their iTunes ecosystem. Um, and the list of the function, the section two, the lists of apps with functionality that will be rejected, apps that crash will be rejected, apps that exhibit bugs will be rejected. And there's like 70 of those. It just keeps going. It never stops. Um, is there really an if your app is creepy, it will be rejected line? I don't I don't think creepy. I, I'm going to... F- Wait, nope. Yep. If your app doesn't do something useful, unique, or provide some sort of lasting entertainment, or if your app is just plain creepy, it will not be accepted. May not be accepted. If your app looks like it was cobbled together in a few days, or you're just trying to get your first practice app into the store to impress your friends, please brace yourself for rejection. We have lots of serious developers who don't want their quality apps to be surrounded by amateur hour. Not too late. We will reject apps for any content or behavior that we believe is over the line. What line, you ask? Well, as a Supreme Court justice once said, I'll know it when I see it. And we think that you will also know it when you cross it. Um, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a line in here that basically says, don't bitch about this on the Internet. That's going to make us not like you very much either. If you get rejected, just deal with it. 
Um, I think the good news is they actually do tell people most of the time when they're rejected what they were rejected for now. Like yes. the app crashes all the time. Like there wasn't that. I think that having this document, even though it's a little cheeky, is better than not having the document, which is the way they used to do app rejections. I was glad to see that the health kit rejection stuff is pretty strict as well. So if you share any of that information, you're out. Yeah. If you uh, don't disclose what you're using it for, if you don't have FCC um, or no, who, whoever is providing a... Um, permission to do health, you know, analysis. If you don't have that kind of analysis permission, then you you can't do it. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I think that's it for news. Twitter is putting stuff that's not in your timeline in your timeline. That sucks. Samsung has a phone called the Galaxy Note Edge, where the screen is curved on one side and the, the it folds over. Uh, the screen, the like right side of the, the screen edge. goes over the edge in, on a curve, and it seems like it's not very useful i think the idea is that because you hold the phone with one hand like this you have better access to launchers uh, if, if uh like this meaning like on the right hand. you're holding the, your thumb on the right side yes, of the phone you can for use audio your thumb to to tap uh to tap icons um but in, in one verge report it said that uh even samsung reps didn't know exactly what the best way to implement to use that was i'm going to play some music real quick and then we're going to talk about uh 3d printing Jeremy Williams, we have both been spending a lot of time with the printer bot Simple Metal. Yeah. And Octopi lately. Um, how, how's your printing going? Well, um, this is my one of the latest ones. I've been. Ooh, you brought something in. I've, <clears throat> I've taken to printing out uh, assemblies, which are multiple parts that you assemble together. My favorite ones are. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's 3D pretty, printed. It's pretty, the coolest ones are the ones that don't require glue, because I think that requires a more clever structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is a spring-powered car. How many hours of printing is that, would you say? Well, not many, because all the parts are pretty thin. I would okay. say maybe eight hours. Okay, that's not too bad. But, um, so it winds up. Oh, my then, God. Then, what? Yeah. That is the coolest thing ever. So the spring is made from PLA plastic, which I thought wait, was Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on. So there's a gearing system. Uh-huh. So uh, It I works see. like a clock spring. You hold the back wheels and then wind it up. Ah. That, yeah. So I tried to print this ages ago with ABS, and the spring doesn't work with ABS. Interesting. It's not springy enough. Now, one of the notes was to do it 100% infill. Oh, on the spring part only? And the handle for it. Okay. So this is completely solid this on the spring. spring. Yeah. And the handle. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote up my kind of... Last week, uh, Joey's out on vacation, so I took the printer brought simple home last week and basically spent, let's say, some hours in between <laughs> doing other things, um, noodling around with it. And finally uh, got it to a place where I was printing stuff that's pretty awesome. I printed that robot that you brought in last time you were here. You printed the big one. I printed the 150% percent one, which is like, yeah. when you stand him up, he's like seven inches tall. Mine was like 60%. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it worked. It worked really well. I had I had a lot of failures on the 60% one, but I had to do some, like I had to build a spool holder and some other stuff to deal with the plastic because I was getting a lot of feeding problems and um, once I built, I, I wrote a post about it on Friday that you can go see, but how long did it take? Uh, 32 hours, maybe of actual print time. I paused it a couple of times. And can you see where you had paused it? No. Cool. No, I was worried about that, but it adhered really well. Um, it's, I, I'm really impressed with that printer. Like yeah. it's, it's a really, really solid printer. And we talked a lot of shit about the instructions for it when we were putting it together. Um, but they have completely updated them. It seems like so. 
Um, you chose the right one uh, to to do that feature with. The, the your your the five, build five part build. Oh yeah, yeah sold yeah. a couple yeah. at least. No, we we got a lot of email and comments from people saying, "Hey, I bought one of these." So, yeah. um, like like from Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've sold at least one. Um, so yeah, if you want to check that out, if you bought one and you're having trouble getting it working, I shared my stuff. A lot of it involves tape, the right kind of tape. I, w- I just went to Ace one day and bought every kind of masking tape that was colored that they had. And I think it's the 3M multi-surface 2090 is the one that I had the best luck with. That's the stickiest? That's the Un- stickiest without being too sticky. All right. So I had some that would stick really well to the platform, but the stuff wouldn't stick to like the green heavy duty ma- painters tape would stick awesome to the platform, but the stuff didn't stick well to it. Um, always alcohol, both the platform and then the tape after you put it down to get any fingerprint oil off. Um, or manufacturing residue if the printer's brand new. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to end up going with a heated platform just because I'm still getting warps with big prints. But I'm going to try this tape you suggest as a last measure. Does the heated platform... Um, one of the things I found to stop warping here is just to to step away... Um, it's cl- close the door to the room. Oh no, I did that. Man. Okay, I did that. I do the alcohol on both sides. I, you know, I, I do it all. But there are people in your comment threads here on Tested.com that have said he did. He got. He had the same problem. Got a heated platform, and now no more. Oh yeah, at all. heated platform helps a ton. Okay, like w- w- the difference between heated platform, like with PLA, you technically don't need a heated platform, but since you can't enclose that printer. So that if a draft hits it, then it doesn't cool faster on one side than the other. Right. Um, Because that's what drafts do. Then the heated platform helps kind of helps level those those problems out. Um, You can put a a heated platform with some capped on at 60 60 Celsius and it sticks like glue. And then when you cool that platform down, it just pops right off because it it, they cool at different rates. Um, it's a really good way to do your, your printing. I like, I like the heated platform a lot. Is it an aluminum platform? Or is it a glass platform? The one know. that they sell? Um, I don't know. Okay. Cause I, I, I love the automatic leveling thing on that so that you don't have to keep leveling the platform. Oh, that's a good point. And I, if it's glass, that won't work anymore. I, oh gosh. No, it must be aluminum because I need that. Yeah. I need that sensor. Yeah. Um, anything else you, uh, I'm writing about Octopi. It'll be up later this week, but it's, it's awesome. It is an awesome way to control the printer and gets Repetier out of your way, which made me happy. Yeah. You can't drop your, like your, um, sliced STL files straight onto there sometimes though, especially the ones off Thingiverse. You have to have them repaired first. Have you run into uh, non-manifold objects? I have not had a problem with non-manifold objects yet. I would say about a quarter of the objects I've tried have had issues. And so I have to have them repaired first using the Microsoft free service. Yeah. And then, it, you know, it always does it. And then you just um, slice that instead. Interesting. Okay. Well, I will. Um, you, you sent me a link to that. I did that with the with the, with the the MakerBot robot, but mm-hmm. I didn't, it didn't it need it. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. We'll talk about the rest of the stuff next week because we're we're just about out of time. Uh, we'll do questions next week as, as well. So if you have questions, send them into podcasttested.com. Uh, next week is an Apple announcement week. Woo-hoo. Oh my September God. 9th is iPhones. Will you be back to do some iPhone discussion? I said I would come in today only if you would have me again next week. Okay. Oh, well, well. We will have you anytime you want to come, Jeremy. <laughs> um, quit last minute. If, if you're before, before we see the announcement... Predictions? Small screen, big screen are the same phone inside. Which one are you getting, Jeremy? Small. Norm, are you going to get an iPhone? I might get the big one. See, see what it's like. Just to see what's up. Is this a buy and return situation for you? Are you ready? No, you, I, I, are you I, done with your Android experiment? I, I have a. I have credit from AT and T. Why? Why paying them the the? I, I do a subsidy this week. 
okay. this month. So, so you're ready to jump off the Android wagon? No, I'm and ready. Get back to, on. I'm ready to get to make AT, give make sure AT and T pays me. Why not get the latest Android phone though? They have because a lot I of hot the, phones I, coming I, out right I now. I have the latest Android phone. Okay. Okay. Um. So that's on Tuesday. Uh, I, I doubt they're streaming this one. I would be surprised if they are. It's not even at their. It's, it's on their campus. It's not. It's, it's, is it's it Foster? in Cupertino. It's in Cupertino, not a. Uh, not in San Francisco. It's, it's someplace it's, that they haven't done it in a long time, right? right? Yeah. Foster City. It's Auditorium where they unveiled the original Mac and the new iMacs back in the day. Huh. Maybe it's a Mac thing. Who knows? Um, we will, uh, have, of course, have coverage of that and all sorts of other stuff. Norm, how's your uh, arcade build going? It's good. Uh, electronics are coming up next. Well, that might be giving them too much away. We'll see. <laughs> Go find out on the site next week. Um, send in your questions. We'll do a bunch of questions next week after the Apple festivities. Um, thanks for listening. And as always, rate us on iTunes, stuff like that. If you like the show or if you don't, that's fine too. You can rate us there too. Uh, today's outro comes from deck of many things. See you guys next week. Hi there. I didn't see you. Obviously, so the object of the game is to be the person at the end with the most space rocks. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. So you basically you just described hungry, hungry hippos. There are no other <laughs> there are no other rules.